on the J. King Network contain mature content and may be deemed as offensive in nature. However, they may not reflect the same views held by the network itself. So please, use discretion when tuning in. Good morning, Josephine Person. Good morning, Willie Zan. Good morning, everybody. My name is J. King. Welcome to Kings in the Morning. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Dre with the High Top Three. Good morning, everybody. It's about that time. Let's get it. Johnny Beckman, Overdrive. It's a beautiful morning. Ah, Good morning. Brother Reverend Ali. If I can't mute you, I won't mute nobody today. If I can't mute you, no, no, nobody. If I can't mute you, I won't mute nobody today. If I can't mute you, no. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, Dave Smith. Good morning, Paulette Gibson. Good morning to everyone. And uh hope you guys are having a, a good one. I got up this morning. I wasn't as fast as I was the other day um, on my mile. The, the, the day I was 13 minutes. So so I, I wasn't, as, wasn't as quick uh, as I was yesterday. I didn't stretch through it. You know, you got to really stretch. The older you get, the more – that's that's when you know how important it is to stretch. You know what I mean? You can't just get up just because, you know – I remember when I was young, and, you know, somebody said, you want to play basketball? You want to play basketball? Yeah, man, let's go out there. Let's go play. And you just get up and you go play basketball. Try that shit now. Try that shit now. Go ahead. I dare Jay, you. Jay, Jay, you want me to send you a walker? No, John, I don't need a walker. Hey, Big Cuz, and good morning. I hope all is well. I'm hitting you up because the motorcycle division of the Boise Rough Riders are hard at work right now, determined to make a difference in the Boise community while trying to change and improve the image and reputation of motorcycle clubs. On Saturday, November 18th, we're holding our third annual turkey giveaway. I am wondering and hoping that you're willing to assist, support us in any way to make this event a success. We are an official 501c3 nonprofit organization, so any donations made to us can be tax deducted. I am including our event flyer and our donation sponsor letter. Maybe in the future, J. King or Club Nouveau or any organization you're part of and the Boise Rough Riders can collaborate and help give back. 
our contact information is also attached, but feel free to contact me directly if you like. So they want me to give them some money for a turkey giveaway. Yeah, I'll give them some money. Um, good morning, Sequoia. Good morning, cuz. Good morning, uh, Jay. That's my cousin, Janice. She got so many. She got so many other names. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna give them a little bit of money. You know, money is an mm-hmm. interesting construct because um, whenever people, you know, sometimes people get money and people say that they change. Good morning, um, Red Boy. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, he he got money and he changed. And I remember one day I said that to my mom about somebody changing. I, I, and I said, um, he got a little money and he just changed. My mom said, no, he did not. I said, he did change. She said, the nigga turned into exactly who he was. Shit. Money gives you freedom to be who you who you really are. Good morning, Keith mm-hmm. Harrison. So when you I don't think that's people, a bad thing, though. It, it ain't a bad it, thing, well, Jay. If, if, if you, you really change, somebody... Well, I'm just saying, if you really one way and the money make you more of who you really was, I don't really say that's a bad thing. It just just shows people who you really are, with the you know yeah. without with them. You, well, so from that standpoint, you're right. From that from that standpoint, you're right. But if, but um, if a motherfucker was funky, if they was funky, and then the, the money game came and they just could to be funky, and they talking yeah. shit to people well, and, and you know shit like that. Then well, you mean, know, but hey, that's some, like you said, that's not a bad thing. It, now I know exactly who you are. Yeah. Have you ever heard this song before? Listen to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hell of a song. 
old school that's punk. Keith, that's Keith Harrison. Keith Harrison is mm-hmm. in the building, y'all. Like Keith, Keith yeah. Harrison is a legendary cat because of all the groups that he that he performed in, that he was part of. He created mm-hmm. um, Casey Stewart said, "I just got a major production deal with Disney last week, so I'm feeling goes so good, so for Sack, like you did right on. Congratulations, good job." Um, but Keith Harrison was a member of, well, he created Fazo. Then he played with, um, um, then he played with Heat Wave, and then he played with, and he he was a member of Heat Wave, and then he was a member of the Daz Band. When he and Cal Williams said J. King left Anchorage, Alaska, and became J. King. Huh? Didn't he play with Flav at one time? No, no, I don't think, no. He only played, Keith Harrison played with Faisal, Heat Wave, the Daz Band. Yeah, Rod Chipperton. I'm calling him right now, and I hope he pick up so I can ask him some questions. Please leave your message yeah. for 9 Three seven six zero four eight one four seven. Okay, Keith, man, I'm calling you, but your phone's going straight to voicemail. I know you're listening to the show, so I'm gonna call you again. Keith, answer your damn phone. What's up, Jay? What's happening with you, sir? Good morning, Salah. You know, I'm, t- I'm, I'm tuning in to your, it's crazy, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what was the toe jam about? Man, we were we were in rehearsal, and uh, the guitar came up that I did, did a toe jam. And uh, I started playing that. And he said, man, that makes you toes jump. Good morning, Bridget. I, we, I can't, we can't hear you. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Conrader. I can't hear you. So you can you hear me now? Microphone. Yeah. So, so he he, uh, I started playing that clavinet part, and and the guitar player said, "Man, that makes your toes want to move." And he said, "Let's call it toe jam," and that's how that came about. Now, now you guys worked with. Who so the dance band? I mean, I mean, um, Ohio players produced the record, but who in the Ohio players produced the record? I couldn't hear you. I know because you got me on the speakerphone. No, I took it off now. Yeah, yeah. On the headset. Yeah, you got to you got to get your ear on the thing, man, so we can hear you. We hear all your noise. What's the airport? See, I'm out. I'm out uh, at the Breakfast Club having breakfast. Oh, okay. Well, okay. You, that's why you didn't pick up. All right. Well, we don't talk about you then. I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna keep you on. I'm gonna talk about you. I'm gonna let you because you don't listen to us talk about you. So, <laughs> you know, I love you, man. I love you back from Fazo. This is the group Fazo. This is the song. I wish he could stay on. No, he's not in Atlanta. He's in Ohio. He's in Ohio. But look at that. 
When you first heard that song and you heard that shit right there, don't say you didn't make this face. Because the first time I heard this song, you're like, what's that? Yeah, that's cool. I like that. It's good. And then it went. Good morning, Bernard Middlebrook. It made you make that face, like, ooh, that's a bad in the bubble. Good morning, JoJo Red. Now that's Keith Harrison singing, y'all. The dude that you just heard on the phone, that's him singing. Now when he said I'm riding high to the punk in the freeway, it's because somebody farted in the car. It might have been him. Now that ain't something I'm making up. That's what he told us one day on this show. Good morning, Daphne. Good morning, Kim Virgil. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if Billy Betts is playing on this record, especially that part where it's Michael um, Melton Red Boy said, I still listen to that, especially every road trip, yeah. Um, uh, Akbar said, I thought it was about being high. I, I don't know if it was about being high. Um, and maybe it was. I don't know. Keith, was it um, Billy Bit? Uh, Billy um, arranged the strings, played the strings and the organ. Okay, I could I could hear Billy back in there. Good morning, Greg Shine. Uh, um, was the song about being high or was it about farting? I know it has something to do with farting on the inside of it. Uh, um, Ali, have you ever wrote a song about you farting? Never, never that. I wouldn't let nobody know nothing about that type of shit, J. King. Oh, <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to to be in your pants. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I wouldn't let nobody know nothing. <laughs> I don't want to know when I fart, none of that, you know, because sometimes I do drive by J. King and walk all the way on the other side of the room. Well, uh, <laughs> I know you do drive bys. It was written about being high, but we had to flip it to a love high for radio back then. So he said it was written about being high, but they made it a love high because back then you couldn't be high. Now you can be as high as you want to be. You can say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm smoking on the blunt, the blunt smoking me. Now me and some blunt doing what we did. You know, it, it, it don't even have to make sense. It's just, it's a blunt, y'all. Smoke, smoke, puff, puff, puff the blunt, y'all. 
Yep, 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 yep. I've got the blunt. You know, you can do that now, and 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 it's a hit. So um, last night, um, uh, I was never. I've never been high. I've never been high before, and I, and I thank God for that. Because I think I might have been crazy than a mother figure. Hey, Lee Patton. Good morning. Mm. I don't know if I would have. Um, I don't know if I would have came back from being high. I think when I see what what high do to people, I don't know. Got to be high to talk to Reese Hopkins is what Kim Virgil said. Yeah. Now, Jay, I'm no, asking, when, you say, when you say high, you talking about weed high or cocaine high? I, I know high. I've never been any kind of high. Okay. I never smoked a joint, never drank, never did none of, none of, none of it. Never did none of it. And I thank God for it because I see what it do to people. I'm not, I'm not saying I never did none of it like I'm above anybody. Good morning, Jelena. I'm saying I, I never did none of it like thank God because right. I can only imagine when I see the kind of effect it's had on people. I can only imagine how powerful it has to be. Probably why I don't get high. I used to watch people around me high and say, I, I can't do it. Good morning, Karen Rivera. Yeah. So last night we did a show. I did a show on the music business on how, how to um, how to build a, a, a music career from scratch. And, um, and I did it because you guys are about to watch it happen with Lucky Witherspoon because Lucky Witherspoon, myself, Joe Levy, and um, Sean Rayford, we start doing dates. Um, March 30th in Sacramento, we're going to be at the uh, McCullen, um, the McCullen Center at the, the um, officers, at the officers club um, in the outside venue, and then we'll go to and, and we'll do somewhere between eight and 12 shows in and, and 2024. And, and, you know, and then we'll start to build out from there. But uh, to watch, you guys, you guys are going to get a chance to see because, and Lucky Witherspoon ain't, ain't no young cat. You know, he's not, you know, he's in his 50s. And, and he's embarking on a career. And I'm going to show you guys, I'm going to prove it to you that, um, that you can literally, you know, you can, if your intent is to create uh, a career in music, you can do it at any time. And uh, <clears throat> Lucky Witherspoon is just a powerful performer. Joe Levy is, is a powerful, great performer. Um, Sean Rayford is a great performer. I mean, so you're going to see some great performances from uh, from great artist. Um, Danielle said, oh, man, I need to know for my son so he can figure out what he wants to do. <clears throat> because your son is younger, Danielle, he has an even greater chance of building a career in music from scratch. It, it requires some ingenuity, uh, some effort, some hard work. And what's amazing to me is that we'll work hard for other people We'll work hard for other companies. We get labeled in a motherfucker for self. 
That's amazing to me. Uh, I only know how to work. So if he wants to do something in music, you should, you should um, Danielle, download, go to iHeartRadio, download the iHeartRadio app, follow the J. King Show, and, um, and, and you'll see my show on building a music career from scratch. It'll be up this week, and you should have him listen to it. Uh, this is what you're going to find taking place starting March 30th with Lucky Witherspoon. We're going to help build his career from the ground up. Good morning, I'm a king. This is Lucky Witherspoon with Comfortable. You'll hear him do it live March 30th. It started with how you do. I heard you like the same. The words you find. There must be more to do. Do you like romance? And who taught you love? And what if I never know I love myself? So I can give you love. And you want me to invest? And you need me to invest? I'll be down for you. I'll be down for you. because of technology and a lot of things that um, it would be almost difficult for us to do. Good morning, Deetra. It's right at your fingertips, whether it's your phone or your, I, your iPad or your 
laptop or desktop computer. You know, there was a time, you know, we, we couldn't, uh, we had a hard time investing as a community uh, in the stock market and such because we didn't have stockbrokers that were black until 1948. And, there, and then there were only one or two in the whole country. And so we missed out on a lot of the, the opportunities to, to gain wealth because of that. But the world, is, the world is different. You know, now you can right here on your iPhone or your, your, your phone, you can have, um, you can have um, Robinhood or Webull or anything like that. Good morning, Donna Lewis. Good morning, Charles Garrison. So it's the same with, with, with all of it. You know, you, you know, some people say, man, I want to do radio. I want to be on radio. Go be on radio. Go to Blog Talk Radio. Start up, um, start up a, a radio show. Reach out to your social media. Some people say they want to, they want to be a talk show host. I want to be able to, well, do what I'm doing right now. Use your social media and, and create it. But we live in a world now where anything that you want to create, you can. And that's, that's the beauty and that's the scary part of it because of what we got all this misinformation. So you got to decide if you want to be Simon Barr Sinister or, you know, if you want to put some good vibrations in the space we call the world or life. Good morning, um, Johnny Davis. But music is my passion. I love music. That's how I breathe. So no matter what I'm doing, I always have to do music. It's, it's a must for my spirit. So that's why I do music. I don't, um, and I and I like teaching um, musicians how to how to um, capture an audience because you can. You don't need a whole bunch of folks to uh, to be successful in any of this. There are a lot of people that always say to me, "Jay, man, you need to be on a larger platform. You need to take Kings in the Morning. Um, the Kings in the Morning is going to be right where it is right now. They don't need to be nowhere else." It don't need it, it. It got enough people following it, enough people listening. We've been doing this for 14 years, and people been tuning in. Some people been with us for the whole 14. Some people just joining us in the last couple of years, and some of in the last couple of months. From a sustainable standpoint, for what I do with the audience I have, I'm I'm good. Sometimes. You know, what you want, you ain't ready for. And that's what happens in, in the music business. Sometimes artists, they want, they want all the fame. But they, don't, they ain't ready for it. And, and that's, what, that's what wipe them out. Because once you, once you grab onto the fame, then... You don't, um, you don't get to cut it loose and say, you know, when you want it, when you don't want it. Once you grab hold of the fame, you're in it. And, and people, people don't care that you have a bad day 
or that you that you're with your family or that you're not in the mood and fame don't care it's your job so I tell people all the time be careful what you ask for make make sure you're ready for it I remember uh, from the first record that I did with Club Nouveau, and it was a huge, it was a big record. Uh, um, did Robert Brookins influence you and how? Charles, Rob, Robert didn't influence me, but he definitely was somebody that, you know, that we, that we watched. He inspired me, but he didn't influence me. I was influenced by... Uh, by Michael Cooper from Confunction, because when I grew up, when I, because I was in Vallejo by that time, and I used to wait for Michael Cooper to come outside so I could wave at him. And I, I had a friend named um, Andre Browder, Fly Guy the Third, is what I called him. And I would be Michael Cooper, and he would be Felton Pilot, and so I would sing all of Michael Cooper's parts. And Michael, they had this song called Juicy, and it was writing you a letter. You say I better write a little more about me. All like grapefruit, peaches, apples, and oranges. That's quite a similarity. And so I would be Michael Cooper. Oh, and he would be Felton. So, um, but inspired by Robert Brookings because he grew up in my neighborhood influenced by Michael Cooper. Um, good morning, Francis. Um, but what I realized after that first album is I don't like, you know, the, the whole fame thing I didn't like so much. You know, that the you, you can't move about. <clears throat> and so I didn't make a record for almost three years, for two, two years, two and a half years. Um, and when I made a record, I made an album called Listen to the Message. It was not, um, I, I did not, and, and, you know, me and Warner Brothers thought about that record. Because Warner Brothers wanted another lean on me, another why you treat me so bad, another jealousy, another situation. And I just wanted to say something. And my contract said that nobody could tell me what to do. And I pointed that out to them. And so I did what I wanted to do. And ever since then, I make records, I make music, I make message records. Because that's what I like, and uh, and and I get to manage my career the way I want it to be, and 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 that was difficult in the 1900s. In the 2000s, it's easy. So guys like Joe Levy and Sean Rayford and Lucky Witherspoon and cats that are doing music today, they get to manage their careers how they want them to go. But that means that they got to work a little harder to, to, to engage with you. Just imagine if Lucky Witherspoon was writing songs, and as he was writing the songs, he was on Facebook working through the songs with you. You, you, you heard, the, you watched him go through the process and watched him develop the lyric, watched him develop the melody watch him develop the song, you bought into him at that point. Anything he asks you to do, you're going to do it. And he don't need a whole bunch of folk to do it. He can start with 10. 
But we have to train our audience. And this is what artists have to understand. And, and, and this isn't, we have to train our audience to support us. Because you, because you don't know automatically the kind of support we need. You don't know automatically the kind of costs that's associated with, with, um, with being an artist. They're called starving artists for a reason. Because they're starving for the art. That they're not making money. It's costing them money to create the art. And oftentimes it costs more money to create the art than what they're receiving until you break through to the other side. It's like basketball players. Everybody thinks all basketball players make $20 million. They don't. There's a handful of them that make $20, $30 million a year. Most of them probably make about 3 or $4 million a year. And, you know, and, and, and that's still a good living. But they're not, they're not making the money like you think they are. It's the same with artists. You know, everybody ain't Beyonce or Taylor Swift. Some artists that just, you know, you see some of these guys playing, they barely make a living. So you, got, you just got to know that there are a lot of artists out here that really are starving and making beautiful music. New Edition didn't start making money until last year. That's right. New Edition wasn't making money. Record companies making money. Managers were making money. Promoters were making money. New Edition wasn't. It wasn't until this last That's tour true. that they did with the Black, um, the Black Promoters Collective that New Edition started making money. Up until this point, they struggled. And that's why when Bobby Brown left, Bobby Brown became so big. Bobby Brown made more money than all those guys. And, you know, um, and they had worked all that time. I remember, um, <clears throat> I remember when we were on tour, on our first tour with Ready for the World, Bobby Brown and Club Nouveau. And, we were making about $3,000 a week each. We were making $3,000 a week each, Club Nouveau, each member. Bobby Brown and Ready for the World were losing money because they had to take tour support. They had to, they had to take all this advance money. I took no advance money from my label. I just um, – I just – I just I kept a very tight, the same way I do now, a very tight crew, and I managed the money so we could put it in our pocket. We didn't have a manager, so we didn't have to pay 20%. They had to pay 20% to a manager. They had to pay 5% to, uh, uh, to a business manager. So 25% of their money is gone before they walk, and then 10% to an agent. So that's 35% of your money, 35%, 35 cents out of every dollar that you generate. I paid 8 cents out of every dollar I generated because I didn't want to pay an agent 10%, so I paid 8%. And we negotiated it. And that's the, you know, and so I know that artists, people see artists a certain way and they don't um, – Janet Marie, whether it was all Pecker Woods or all Darkies, don't matter. Managers 
pretty much have the same thought process. So black managers and white managers, managers back then, pretty much the same. Jeff, Jeff Carlin said, taking the draw up front, does that mean you could borrow against your potential future income, Jay? What they called that, Jeff, was um, artist support. Artist support. So what the record company would do is pay for the artist to be out on tour, support the artist out on tour, because by supporting the artist being out on tour, it would keep their keep them in the um, and the profile, and they'd sell more records. And, and so the record company would make more money. But the record company would charge the artist's support against the artist's royalty. So if an artist had a 13 or 14% royalty rate, that means that they make about a dollar four, a dollar 12 every time they sold a record in the store. So if they sold a million records, they'd have a million dollars and some change. But they take 5% for free goods, so that's $50,000. So now the million dollars is $950,000. They take 30% for returns, so that 30% is holding abeyance. So now that's another $300,000. So that's $350,000. And then um, they take 5% for free goods. That's another, so that's $400,000 out of the million, $1.1 million that's owed. So they'd end up with about $700,000 that they get over a period of time. But because they took tour support, all the tour support dollars come out of that $700,000. All of the radio promotion dollars come out of that $700,000. All of the, the recording costs come out of that $700,000. All of the uh, travel costs that they're going to the Grammys or any award shows come out of that $700,000. So artists, mm-hmm. for the most part, don't make money from record sales. So Janet Marie says one-on-one. Huh? So that shit's not all over. It's like a revolving line of credit. Well, that shit's not you all over again. Mm-hmm. You signed it. So don't, yep. don't cry to me about what you signed. Um, I um, Hey, Jay, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. So when you did rumors, how much do you think they took out of all the proceeds you made for rumors? Nothing, because I owned rumors. I did it independently. Oh, you did it independent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, but when I did my Club Nouveau deal, um, I didn't sign the first deal they put in front of me. I signed the what if deal because my attitude because they put you they put a deal in front of you and you sign it. And I said, but what if what if I sold three hundred thousand records? And they said, what if? I said, if I sold three hundred thousand records, can I have that? And they were like, yeah, you can have that if you sold three. I said, what if I sold a half a million records? Can I have that and this? And they said, yes, you can have that and this. I said, what if I sold seven hundred and fifty thousand records? 
And I went all the way up to two and a half million records. And my lawyer was like, Jay, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep going back. But the way I ended up with my own label, the way I ended up being able, I made money from my first album. We got paid a royalty. We're part of the 1%. Only 1% of artists make royalties from record sales. Now, if you're a writer, you make money from publishing from record one, but only 1% of artists make money from actual record sales. And we were part of that 1%. Well, we actually made money from record sales, but because of the structure of the deal. And um, and I just liked fucking with white folk at that time. So every time they thought I was going to sell, uh, that I was going to sign the contract, I would get ready to sign it, and then I'd say, what if? And they just got so <laughs> sick of me that eventually I signed the deal. I got... And that's how I had so much control. That's when it was time for me to make my second album, and they didn't want me to make a record um, doing, you know, doing talking about stuff they didn't want me to talk about. Bringing joy. Yep, yep, yep. This motherfucker, he going to push the one and then have a conversation. So, you know, lawyers that day. Kente. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so Babylon Tuesday. Me, lawyers for me have always been the people that just make the language uh, what you want it to be. But you have to know what it is that you want. And most artists uh, are lazy. They don't want to do it because it's hard work. Because you got to, that means you got to read. So I, I had to read these contracts. I had to read them and then try to figure out what it was saying because they, because in perpetuity, I never heard the fucking word perpetuity. Yep. And instead of saying forever, instead of them saying, you know, we own this music forever, they say we own it in perpetuity. In perpetuity. <laughs> that was some crazy so, shit. So, so, they, so they'll get you with language. And because I am... Um, because I came from the independent process. Good morning, Potter. I see you. Because I came from the independent process, I knew to read. I knew to read contracts. Me and Ojari, Kim Ariva, we had to go to um, – I learned to read because of my, my independent contract, my distribution deal with McCullough Records. And me, Ojari, and Danny X flew to um, L.A., to Santa Monica, uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard to McCullough Records and put the straightening comb on Don McMillan, got me my money, and uh, and got up out of town. And that's why I said I got to I got to read this shit. And we changed everything around. But uh, that's why I love that's why I love Ojari to this very day. Whenever I need to pull out that straightening comb, if I called him, he made sure it was good and hot before we put it in somebody's head. <laughs> yeah. Man, Good you're morning, giving up so much game right now. You are giving up game. Especially when you say, what if, what if, what if. That's game right yeah. there. Yeah, we gave up more game when you was on the phone when you pushed the one. What if you said Kente wasn't talking when he pushed the one? <laughs> Nigga. What I'm, what, in essence, what I'm saying is this. Artists have more power 
than they actually know. Good morning, Roy. Thank you, sir. He said, very proud of your success. Like myself, most people don't know you are an Alaskan. You know, that's why I love it. Good morning, G-Lux. Um, you know, Alaska claimed me like, like I'm theirs, and I claim Alaska like, like they're mine. Because when I came, you know, I came from California to Alaska through the Air Force. And so, you know, I had gotten to a little situation, and uh, they were going to try to put me in jail in Alaska because of uh, altercation. Uh, and so I stayed in Alaska. I did not want to come back to California and, and because I was embarrassed that I didn't make it. And I stayed in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was the most beautiful place I'd ever been. And I literally believe, good morning, Dallas, that, uh, and, and, you know, I did, a, I, I danced there and, and did a whole bunch of stuff, worked on a lot of political campaigns, worked in the legislature there uh, as a page, and um, Alaska was just a very fruitful time for me. And I, um, when I left Alaska to come back to the lower 48 to, and I did rumors, my intent was to move back to Alaska. That's how much I loved it. I figured I was gonna, I would be, I would work from Alaska. That I, that that's where I would live. But when I went back to Alaska, I didn't know how slow it was because you adjust to the pace of Alaska, and it's nice, it's cool. But when you bend out in the Lower 48, it's moving this fast, it's not that fast, and, it, and, and, um, and it's like, oh, shit, and I, I, <laughs> I, never, I never went back again, other than to visit, and then it, and then it changed, you know, and the, the, the drug thing really, good morning, Vinyl. Got out of control. Uh, Alaska always felt safe to me. It wasn't safe anymore. It was just like any city in the lower 48. It, you know the, the beauty that I saw. Uh, the times that I went, I didn't see it um, anymore. But then I realized that that wasn't Alaska. That's just America. That's just who and what we are. And that's why. <laughs> Celeste Dodd said, that's messed up. Cal Williams, like, you know what? Celeste, I don't expect you and Cal to feel that because you guys are in it, and it's a wonderful rhythm. But when you are in the lower 48 and you come back to Alaska, it is, it's a pace that you got to get used to. That's just, I will say this. Um, music came to Alaska before it got to California. I, I heard music in Alaska before I got to California. People in California, I would be talking about Pac Jam, and they'd say, what? Uh, Cal Williams said, Alaska is buried in snow today. Yeah. I love I love Anchorage. I love Alaska. Now Alaska is just like Compton. Yeah, it really is, Dallas. I, what I loved about it, it was that uh, – if you live there, you got to check every year for somewhere between two and two thousand and thirty-five hundred dollars. Everybody in your family from uh, from the the oil dividend. Celeste said, "I get out all the time, and I'm always in a hurry to return to the land of the midnight sun and home of the great outdoors." 
Yeah. And 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 I can see that. And yeah, the pipeline money. But if you're an artist living in Alaska and you think that you can't make a living um there, that that's not true. Alaska is one of the great places that if you are an artist, and it, it, it requires the same type of, uh, of consistency in Alaska that it requires in California or New York or, or Seattle, Washington, or anywhere else. It, it's how inventive, how creative that you're going to be and how good the music is. Good morning, Christy Graham. Uh, Jeff said, I visited Juno, nice place, big-ass king salmon the size of a Volkswagen. Um, interesting thing about Juno is the only way you can get in and out of Juno is by plane or by a um, boat. Can't drive in or out of Juno. Jay, let's have a show here in the summertime. You know, um, that, that wouldn't be a bad idea, Celeste. I would love, but I don't know, you know, because uh, KSKA Radio in Alaska played R&B music, Marty San Martino, Marvell Johnson, Rick Neal, these were the guys that played music, and that's how we heard music in, in Alaska. Um, but I don't know what exists up there anymore. For I don't know what urban outlets are there, but I would love to organize uh, a thing. Um, but the music has to be something that people hear. And that's why, I'm, uh, that's why I decided to work with, you know, I cuss out um, Lucky Witherspoon and Joe Levy all the time because I, because I really believe in their artistry. I believe in the music that they make. And, and they make me mad because um, I don't think they believe in it enough. But sometimes it's not that they don't believe, it's that they don't, they don't even know. They don't even know how to get to it. And so what I, what I assume everybody just knows how to do, it's not true. It takes a minute to learn. How, it took me a minute to learn this shit. And so I had to learn how to be patient. And I said, you know what, instead of talking shit to them, calling them and cussing them out all the time, I'm going to help them. I'm going to create the system for them and, uh, and give them the opportunity to do what I know they can do, and that's be great. Uh, Kyle Williams said, the best thing about Alaska is that the population is so small, you know the governor and everyone. More importantly, everyone knows you. Good morning, Trishon. Yeah, I love that about, um, I love it and I'm afraid of it (laughs) because everybody, because sometimes people can't breathe good because they know it's in your business. I want to play this from Joe Levy. Good morning, Chief Anderson. Jay King, Joe Levy, Lucky Witherspoon, Sean Rayford, March 30th, Sacramento. This is Joe Levy talking about the circle. When intoxicated I'm breathing but I can't breathe I'm afraid of when I want to be Friends ain't mad at me Can't talk to them about my enemies 
uh, suspect about being outside the U.S. Uh, unless unless I'm there, unless I'm foot on, feet on the ground, I can see it, I can touch it, I can taste it. So, um, in 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 third uh, world countries, I'm always nervous. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to. Um, no, it's not dangerous. No game, not not trouble. Uh, there's trouble everywhere, um, Thurston Bilal, But I hear you. I, um, I would have to I would have to um, go and see. I would have to know what the what the laws are as it relates to home ownership. You know, in Mexico, you can you can buy a place, you can but you can't own it. I mean, you, it's yours, but you don't own it. It's, you know, it's a a hundred year land lease or some something. So you got to be careful. Just got to know what it is. Uh, today is uh, Tuesday, November fourteenth, twenty twenty three. Uh, the daily word is going to be forgive. Um, are you going to do the word of the day, uh, Brother Reverend Eileen? Yes, sir. Or, yes, sir. Brother Reverend Eileen is going to do the word of the day. I'm going to do the daily word. Uh, forgive is the daily word, F-O-R-G-I-V-E. I free myself through forgiveness. Um, as long as I'm holding on to thoughts that someone or something wronged me, I'm in a prison of my own making. Instead of focusing on the way things should be or could have been, I focus instead upon the gifts and blessings that are mine in this moment. Through my divine gifts of understanding and wisdom, I am willing to think differently about the past. I release unforgiving thoughts and the power I've given to my memories. I let go of the heaviness of resentment, judgments, betrayals, and beliefs I've been carrying for too long. Forgiveness is a gift to myself. It's the key to my liberation. I rejoice in the glory and healing power of God's love within me. I surrender my troubled heart to the Christ within and soar on the wings of love. Today's Bible verse is Luke 6:37. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Amen. Um, Brother Reverend Ali, what is the word of the day? Oh, gee, the word of the day is circle, spelled C-I-R-C-L-E. And the definition for circle is a round, plain figure whose boundary the, 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 that consists of points, uh, form, and fixed points, the center. Let's see if I can use that in a sentence. It seems like every day Yusuf Kente runs circles around itself. Circle. Noted. <laughs> yeah, um, so, so Thurston Bilal makes a good point. I just want to read what he said. Um, he says, um, well, what I mean is there is, yeah, you're right. There can be trouble anywhere, and you don't have to be careful when you invest, I have a client down here that kills itself, multiple sclerosis with my formulas, and I'm working with him. He's a Nicaraguan, and he's a, he has a Nicaraguan passport. For me, when I invest in a country, I always have to have someone who is there who has a passport that I can trust. And, yeah, you're right. You have to 
tie your camel, but you can't get on title here on land better than you can in Ghana or some African countries because the European SEBI and this line up and they are selling it now and making a killing in this land. That's all. I don't, I don't quite, I, I don't know if, if I read that right. Um, um, and Ghana is where, in uh, uh, Ghana is where um, Dick Griffey resided. And Dick Griffey had holdings in oil, shipping, and other minerals. And he had to come back to the United States to uh, have a heart surgery. And he made it out of the heart surgery, and he was doing fine. And uh, his business partners were in touch with, with him and his family. The day that Dick Griffey died, his family could no longer get in touch with his business partners. And when they did, what they found out was that um, he had he didn't have ho- the holdings that they thought he had. He didn't, you know, that the guy said that there was money owed and this, but not when he was alive. It is um, I would never I would never invest in something that I'm not that I don't have some type of control in. I just, especially outside the United States, where um, the laws and and uh, and the um, constitutions are uh, are not uh, of the same written on the same type of paper mm-hmm. that we have here. So, um, and I listen. I've been. To, I've you know. I've, I've traveled to. I've traveled to um, these countries, and. Uh, you know, I, I, matter of fact, uh, when I was in Honduras, we had a mayor from Nicaragua, a mayor from Venezuela, a mayor from um, um, Colombia, Bota, uh, a mayor from um, from San Jose in Honduras, and a mayor from Belize. And we were all on a on a flight together on a helicopter, the, the president's helicopter in, in Honduras. And um, those guys, we were all traveled together. We went to the Garifna villages. The Garifna are the Africans uh, who weren't slaves, who actually overtook the slave ships and landed in Honduras. And then they um, bred with the... Um, Carib people, the native to the land, and so they all they live across at nine villages on the coast of Honduras, but they don't have a um, they didn't have a hospital. And working with Alan Warren, we were responsible for helping to put the first hospital there. And so we were there on a government mission. And three of those guys, when we came back, good morning, cousin. When we came back to go to a, a few months later, maybe six. Maybe nine months later, three of those guys were dead because they'd been assassinated. And and, and uh, 
Honduras is a, is, is a dangerous place. Yeah, the people without shoes. So we that brought shoes to a bunch of folks over there. So, I, so you know, I, I hear... I hear what people say. I know people go to Ghana and go to these countries and stuff, but uh, but they come back to the United States. <laughs> they go back here. Yeah, it's it's because it's a um, life life is a dangerous game when you you know when you take on dangerous missions. Yeah, they overtook the slave ship. You should um you should read about the Garifna. Garifna. G-A-R-I-F-N-A, I believe. Garifna. The Garifna people. Read about them. Bad motherfuckers. If they had a theme song, like the day that, 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 that the, the, um, when they took over the ship, if they had a theme song that was playing that day, it would have been bad motherfucker, bad motherfucker, bad motherfucker, bad motherfucker, bad motherfuckers, bad motherfuckers, because they were some bad motherfuckers. They overtook that ship. Yeah, those ships. The ships never, they, they never made it to land. They, they overtook them at sea. I'm trying to make sure that I'm spelling Garifna right. Um, actually, it's G-A-R-I-F-U-N-A. Yeah. So the Garifna, G. A R I F U N A, and uh, there's some Garifuna here in in, the, in California. The Garifuna people are people of mixed free African and Amer Indian ancestry that originated in the Caribbean island of Saint Vincent. So, uh, yeah, Garifuna. Don't do it, King. Some of your co-hosts will be emailing Jordan saying, your dad would want me to have this and that. Um, let me tell you about, let me tell you about um, my, uh, my kids. My, my kids understand exactly uh, what it is. My boys, their job is to protect their sister. Their sister knows that 50% of everything is her. My boys, 25%. Each they each, but they their job is to protect their sister. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody gonna be fucking fucking with her with them. Them two idiots as brothers. So, so the Garifna, it um, the Garifna story goes back almost four hundred years. And that's when the um, South American Carib Indians um, migrated to the Caribbean island of uh, St. Vincent. And um, so the Garifuna, the history of them is a constant migration and a lot of intermarriage with other other. Racist. So oral history says that the Garifuna ancestors, or the, um, I think they call them the Iwawak, Iwawak Indians, they migrated from Guyana, from 
Suriname, from Venezuela, way before uh, Europeans from the New World came and tried to settle in those islands. So the same at the same times that they were doing um, what they were doing in in North America, they were doing the same thing in in um, in these um these other countries. So it was around 1635, and it was two Spanish ships. Uh, they shipwrecked into the area. They were carrying hundreds of indentured um, Nigerians. And uh, the reason why they shipwrecked is because they overtook the ship. And they didn't know how to steer the ship and everything, and the ship crashed. And um, a lot of the slaves, um, you know, they, they, they went to go seek refuge with the Carib and the Arawak population. And that's how the Garifuna, and, and, you know, they started to assimilate and, and mate and create the Garifuna that exists today. But um, you should read about them. It's an interesting, it's an interesting history. Anyway, so much for that. So, so last night I talked about the music business. It was really good. I thought it was a good show. If, if you guys don't follow me on on um, um, iHeartRadio, you should download the iHeartRadio app and then search for the J King Show. And um, and um, you know, for further context, I was looking to put on a show in Cape Town and understanding she would already be in South Africa for the festival, that weekend for me meant there could be efficiencies and opportunities mm-hmm. for us both, mm-hmm. even though it's a short notice. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to see what the local mm-hmm. flights and hotel requirements would be after understanding. Okay. Look forward to input from Muhammad. Okay. Great. So um, let me see. I wanted, I, there were certain things that I, um, oh, I wanted to talk about. A woman who won $6 million in a state lottery reveals the good, the bad, and ugly about netting millions of dollars. When Gloria Easley saw that she'd won big in her state lottery, she wanted to stay under the radar. She got a claim form from the scratch card machine, but she left the store without letting the man behind the counter take a selfie with her and the winning ticket she bought there. He said, let me take a picture. Evie told Insider, no thank you, I said. She hustled to the lottery headquarters, accompanied by a friend, and an official ushered her into a private room. Insider has not named the state indifference to Easley's concerns about privacy. He confirmed that Easley had won $6 million. The man explained she could receive the money through an annuity, which guarantees a larger total payout over time, or choose a lower lump sum. She opted for the latter. She deposited the $3 million lump sum check into a bank account that she set up the same day that she'd won the lottery in 2016. The 44-year-old said the lottery official asked that she wanted to go public and appear in the media, she declined the opportunity. 
AE doublers. You don't want to put it all over the place? She told Insider, I thought, I have two children. I have a family. Maybe I watched a little too many movies, but I was thinking of Ransom and stuff like that. Easily said the first person she told after her friend was her daughter, who worked in a fast food restaurant. I texted her and said, pick up, she said. She said rumors soon circulated that she'd won a substantial amount of cash. My friend was telling people I'd won $30,000, but she didn't have the amount right, she said, and she began to feel worried about my safety. I knew that first and foremost, the best thing was to get my kids out, the single mom said, adding that people were coming out of the woodwork, some of whom had been unreliable in the past. People were calling me during the second day, and I remember thinking, where were you? When I was having a hard time, Easley, her son, now 13, her daughter, now 29, and her grandson, now 13, moved to a hotel in a neighboring state within 10 days of the win. Easley says she and her family began to look at homes in a new state. She decided to buy two houses just around the corner from each other on the cul-de-sac. The two three-bedroom, two-bathroom houses cost about $200,000 each. Mine was rent because I didn't want any steps. Easily who paid cash for the home said, I've been walking up steps a lot of years. The 44-year-old admitted that she was tempted to splurge. I know I could have blown through the money and gotten into difficulties, she said. Her cousin introduced her to a financial advisor. E.V. Fi Taylor. Taylor, who told Insider that his client, his clients include professional athletes and celebrities, said he pulled no punches. I made it clear to Gloria that she needed to act wisely if she wanted to live on this money for the rest of her life. Easily realized that the fortune could vanish in the blink of an eye. She followed Taylor's suggestion mm-hmm. to invest in stocks. We basically put the money into different buckets, each with a different pro and a different con, Taylor said. It was about balance and diversification. Like many lottery winners, easily be, quickly began building requests for money from family and friends. I gave them little pieces when it first happened, she said. But it's not a revolving door when you keep coming back. She said that boundaries were important. You get a lot of requests, but you can't pick up the phone every five minutes. She's still in a solid financial position seven years after her win. It's hard to say no, but you have to realize that people sometimes see us as dollar signs, she said. She reviews each case nonetheless. It's one thing if someone is saying, I want to buy shoes, go to a show, get my hair done. It's another if my mom's sister, my great aunts, or my cousins needed for other reasons. Easily said she's in a solid financial position. The biggest thing is relief for my kids and their future, she said. I wouldn't say the money made me happy, she added. 
If it takes money to make you happy, then you won't ever be happy. I still shop in the places I shopped before. I'm not the kind of person who spends $100,000 on a car. The only thing that's changed about me is moving to a new state and changing my area code. Easily did admit that after her win, she started gambling more. She said she sometimes went to the casino and played slot machines before she struck gold but had to pull myself back. She stayed single because she's suspicious of other motives. Still, she said she has a penchant for designer shoes and handbags. She recently paid $3,500 for a Gucci purse at a consignment store. The retail price would have been around $10,000. The family has also enjoyed luxury trips to Disney World and Universal Studios, and they take regular vacations in California. But Easley, who doesn't have a passport, says she had no intention of traveling overseas. It's not something I thought about just because the money is there, she said. I'm not going to book a flight to Paris or Italy, stay over and spend a bunch of money to have to come back. When it comes to romance, Easley has remained single, saying she can take it or leave it. You never know the motive, she told Insider. I've been on my own for a long time. I'm not buying anybody. I'm okay as I am. Y'all thought it was going to be one of them stories where somebody... Uh, somebody is, uh, you know, waste the money. Because most times people in these stories, they, they waste they waste the money. But uh, $3 million, you know, so she won $6 million. She took the $3 million right now. Would you have, um, Ali, would you have taken – the six million over time, or taking the three million and one hoop. Now I took the three million and one hoop because you don't know if you're gonna last that long, and also you don't know if they gonna run some boomerang on you about the other three million. So I just take the three and get on. Kente, would you have taken the three million, or, or would you would you take the whole thing? Over time. Okay, so he's he's doing whatever he's been working. Now, what about you, Snitchy Smurf? Would you have taken the $3 million or would you have taken it over time? I believe if I was a, if I were able to put the ticket in Lars' name, I would have let mm-hmm. him take the payment over time. If I had to do mm-hmm. it um, right now, yeah, I'd have to take the $3 million. Why are you going to make Elijah suffer? He's been taking care of your ass for the last five years. Now you want him to suffer. <laughs> Cuddles, don't start. Did you hear what I said? He's the younger, right? So that's why he would have it over time longer. Younger you know, means that I'm they can like, run game on him. You, 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 you're just doing your son all wrong. No, wait a minute, Cuddles. Well, what I about you, Mary? Because he's the younger. Let me, let me, uh, I'm not dealing with him right now. What about you, Mary? <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you take the three million? Would you have taken the three million or the six million over time? Mm. With my current situation, with my health, I would have taken the. I would have just taken the payout. But if not, I probably would have taken the six million over time. If um. If I could, if. If I could 
um, signing over to somebody if something happened to me where my, where my daughter or son or my kids could have it or the estate could have it, I would take the $6 million over time. Yeah, and, that uh, that would be a that would be a prerequisite for yeah. me too. And I wouldn't take any of the money. I wouldn't spend any of it. I would just take the money and put it in the market. And I'd put the money to work. And let the money just work. And every year I would just drop new money in the market, different things and and um so that um so that when my when I when I die, my kids would have a, a big bucket and that they could, but I would put it in a trust so the trust could control it. Mm-hmm. Now, Reese, we already knew Garifuna. We already, obviously you're late because we already went through Garifuna. Garifuna. He's correcting us. He wants Funa, Garifuna, like tuna. It's, it's, no, but it's Garifuna. That's what they call it. So, it's Garifna. That's how they pronounce it. Now, Reese hasn't been there, but when a motherfucker go to the tenth grade, he just know he thinks you can just read shit, and that's what it is. Um, so, um, I met with you know um, a lot of people. I don't think you can cash on a lot of winnings. Uh, Jay, you buy a new pair of Nikes. I don't. I don't buy Nikes. Carter. I only have one pair of nights, no the basketball shoes to beat Brother Reverend Ali in. Did you say you gonna what in those basketball shoes? Beat your ass. No, you ain't gonna get nothing in basketball shoes. That's why your ass can't finish your workout this morning. That's all right. I didn't finish my workout. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. And you said you can't you can't just get out there and play basketball. You know, you got to work yourself up to it. Well I could just get out there and play basketball, J. King. You can't go back. You you got sweet. Watch, you gonna get rolled out. You won't get one point. I'm swatting your shit. I'm stealing the ball from you everything. Sweet bag. That's what you're gonna be singing on the basketball court. You're gonna be singing instead of getting instead of playing. On the side. Holding your knees, nigga. I'm trying to find some other stuff that I have. This is what happens when I, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I save shit and, and I forget to to put it on. To, that's good, Jeff. I heard an excellent presentation this Saturday on estate planning by Patrice Tony Bailey. I highly recommend her book. Yeah, I think everybody should, um, should you know, um, have have a if, if you have any kind of wealth that you start planning to um, well the Bureau of Public Relations has a pronunciation video that says otherwise that's not how the people say it Reese you, you always want to see how white folks say it I don't give a damn what white folks say I'm telling you the Garifna that's how they pronounce But just cracker jacking all the time. Just like yesterday, uh, just like yesterday, any time with the white dude with with, with Beckman, hey Jay, listen, he's he's a good guy. 
<laughs> I know what a good guy. I know what a good guy sounds like. I know when white folks got that other thing on them, and Reese like when white folks got that other thing on them, because he thinks he white folk with that other thing on them. You ain't white, Reese. Well, maybe I maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. No, you are, Reese. My bad. You are. The Bureau are natives of the culture. They pronounce them video. Isn't ass? Charisma. See, this is, that impression cracks me up every single time. Well, first of all, Greg, the reason why is if Reese calls in and he starts speaking, you're going to say, Jay, you're dead on, Reese. And I'm going to say, I know it. And Reese is going to say, no, he's not. He sounds nothing like me, but he's going to sound just like this when he says it. Jay King's an ass. Just like I sound like Donald. No one wants to say it, but I do. I sound just like him. Uh, it's, it's honest. Me and Donald are the same. No, you're not gay. <laughs> well, if, if Reese calls in, you'll find out. Reese, are you calling in so they can so they can verify what I'm saying is right and the truth? You sound like Tennessee Tuxedo. So does Reese. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get rid of her. She with the NAACP. She she going against us, Jake. No, I'm not. Why well, play the video if you already know? Uh, you sound like Donald. Yes, you do. You go to a whole episode of The Voice. People do you do impressions of, especially love the pinup. What's his name? Lovelace or oh, Dr. Lovelace? Jay, even though you're so successful, you remain humble, and that's what we love about you. Now let's plan a show in Alaska for the Summer Soul Society. Okay, so call me, Celeste. Celeste, you've got to text me your number because I have new, I have new phone service. I, I, I traded from T-Mobile to AT&T, and so they're supposed to trade over everything, right? But T-Mobile is so shitty that now I'm finding that all my numbers didn't transfer over. Some of my numbers didn't transfer over. Good morning, Cheryl. And so, um, so if, if you do that, so we can so we can talk. I would love it. Love why they always Why they always trying to do business with you, Jay? When they know you on the radio and they sitting up there leaving business comments and shit. Why don't they just call you when after the show? Ali, be nice, Jay. I got you on the eighty-five inch this morning. Jesus, you're almost life-size. Kim walked in the family room and looked and said, are you kidding? <laughs> hey, Kim. <laughs> Kim, go whoop your ass, Kim. JT, live March 30th. I would love to be here. Hopefully, we'll bring our own. 
My partner Dale Bernie. Why is that his favorite song though? He he be telling the, the hot dog stand to let him in after they close. Detection. <laughs> he went to the game yesterday. He didn't get hot dogs though. He said he got the chicken tenders. <laughs> <laughs> he got something to eat though, huh? <laughs> well, wow. that's the best part of the game, Ali. If we get to well, go no, to I, the, um, yeah, well, 
I eat before I go to the game. I, I eat before. I don't eat the shit. I get popcorn, maybe. Yeah, well, we get to go down to the, um, we get it free. You know, we get to go, our, our, we, well, y'all we get to, go to the, to the, the booth. Lounge. Yeah, but to see, y'all, no, we y'all can't turn down free food. I, I, why would I turn that? I won't. I I go there. I paid. I I, I got the season tickets for that. Uh huh. Why you got to eat the food though? Because I want. That's why I got the goddamn tickets so I can eat the food. Good morning, Didi Bird. Well, that's everybody. That's why your stomach. That's why your stomach all big. <laughs> my stomach ain't big. I, I know the stomach is popping <laughs> oh out. My oh my god. That's why your. That's why your boss t-shirt is tight to your stomach now. <laughs> but, well, it will be so, it will be okay if they were, but I think everybody can see that my boss, my boss shirt, there it is right there. My boss ain't t-shirt. I got on a boss shirt now. It ain't tight. Let us see your stomach. <laughs> I just did. I just, I just stood up. But you, but you a fat vegan. Um, Here we um, go. You you a fat are you the first overweight vegan I seen. <laughs> yeah. A lot of potatoes over here, JK. Rice and potatoes. <laughs> Large stores including Walmart and Costco are rethinking self checkout lanes due to widespread customer complaints and escalating retail crime. This comes as many U.S. chains have already tried to tighten security features at self-checkout. But shoplifters are still managing to take advantage of the lax oversight. So um, how do you guys like the, um, the, the uh, uh, checkout, the self-checkout? Self-checkouts is the shit. The only people that don't like self-checkouts is motherfuckers that are stupid that don't know how to work a register. That's why they don't want them in there. What? That's that's not the only reason. That is the only reason. Motherfuckers talking about they want to talk to people. They want a live person. That's some bullshit. The motherfuckers can't work the motherfuckers. Some stupid motherfuckers. Motherfuckers got a lot of money, Jay. Rich motherfuckers don't know how to work a self-checkout. Well, what about when, good morning, uh, good morning, Dunard. Um, Bernard Middlebrook said, I like sell checkup. I just don't like the people asking me to check my bank after I did all the work. Um, Vertical said, I hate self-checkout. I never use them because I don't get paid to stack, to stack my merchandise. So he's, he's uh, Vertical saying it has nothing to do with being stupid. He, shit, if I'm paying for it, you do the work. You do some work too. I'm not gonna do all the work and then pay you for me back putting in my bag. Back in my yeah, shit. but you can't listen. You can't listen to a bowling ball, nigga. J. King. He just roll all oh over God. shit. Oh my God! Stop that. Good morning, Roger Smith. Uh, Janet Marie said, "I don't do self. I like people. I like service." And uh, Jeff Carter that's said, "That's the value." Jenny Marie ain't gonna miss a chance on calling somebody a cracker. That's why she want a live person. Good morning, Mr. Elias. Uh, 
Uh, so, so Bernard Middlebrook said, yeah, they want to check your bag after you do the work. If I'm doing the work, don't be fucking with my bag. No, you don't get to check my bag. You didn't come over here and you didn't, you didn't bag it. That's why you need your receipt. Just have your receipt ready. I don't want you looking at my receipt. If you were to bag this shit, you wouldn't need to look at a receipt. Well, a lot of people go to self-checkout, Jay. They got 12 items. They only rang up eight and try to steal the rest. Well, so, so talk about the thievery then. That's what they're doing. they thievery, but they start stealing because they don't know how to work it. Oh, well, I got money. And they just take their little 12 items and only pay for eight. Israel alleges that Hamas is deliberately building command centers underneath hospitals in Gaza to shield its militants from attacks. Hamas has denied the accusations, but a U.S. official told CNN that Hamas has a command node under Gaza's largest hospital, and its fighters regularly cluster in and around the facility. Israeli Prime Minister um, Benjamin Netanyahu said that Israel is treading carefully when it comes to hospitals, but we're also not going to give immunity to the terrorists. On Monday, President Joe Biden expressed hope that there will be less intrusive action relative to medical facilities, adding that hospitals must be protected. Um, Cal um, Williams said, customer wants service. When I was at checkout, um, daily customers came to me to engage in conversation. Jeff Carlin said, I never thought of that. I do self-check at Costco, and they still check my receipt. Um, Greg um, Shine said, I'm a lifetime union member. I am pro-union. My mother was a school teacher, and she was union. Self-checkout eliminates the human process uh, uh, against the, against the um, pay people, not replace them. That's a goddamn Cowboys, lie. Yeah. They got they got people that that are cashiers that run the self checkouts to help the people. That's a, see that's a stupid motherfucker right there. This can't don't 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 know how to work registers. No, he said I'm a lifetime union member. I support the union workers. Anything the union ain't got shit to do. Fuck, fuck a union. Fuck a union. Them motherfucking unions is bullshit. He full of shit. <laughs> union motherfuckers. You know, you know what the union do, Jay? They take your money without you even signing the paperwork, the authorization for them to take your money, and they never let you know where the meetings are before they take your money out your check. Fuck a union. Are you part of a union? No, hell no. The motherfuckers scared of me. They scared of me. They don't want to fuck uh, with me. Mr. Elliot said, fuck you, Ali. <laughs> fuck you, Mr. Elliot, you low-end sissy. That's what oh, stands for, low-end sissy. Oh. Now, first of all, uh, L-E-S, it, it, you said low-end. Oh, lo- yes. Low-end. Low-end sissy, that's L- right. L-E-S, yeah. He's <laughs> I've been waiting for that motherfucker. Um, uh, Vertical said the union did me wrong at Raytheon Aircraft. Jolina said, uh, Jolina said, you're so opinionated. Uh, Greg Shine said, Greg Shine said, now that's ignorant as hell. The unions have raised the quality of life for human beings for hundreds of years, and anyone who works knows that. You got your eight-hour day from the union. You got your laws against. Uh, that's a goddamn lie. 
Now you did. You got your law against child labor. The union ain't did shit. You ain't got shit from the union. You got shit from the union. Jay King, the union is just like the vet, the, the, the motherfucking vet facility. They only take care of Jim certain Washington vets, said, and everybody else got to feed for themselves. With the Iron Workers Union, Mr. Elias says, Ali stands for ass-licking imbecile. <laughs> oh, good, nigga. You had to think about that, didn't you? You run-down <laughs> motherfucker. That's why the union going to run oh, up Jeff. in your ass. Jeff Carlin said I was a member of the Iron Workers Union local for... Mm-hmm. 516 for years, and they didn't do a whole lot of good for me except take my monthly union membership money. That's right. That's right. Tell him, Jeff Carlin, a real motherfucker. Um, Janet Marie said, fuck that union. There you go, Janet. Shit. Tell the goddamn truth. For the first time in its history, the Supreme Court on Monday announced a code of conduct in an attempt to address ethics concerns. This comes after months of new stories alleging that conservative justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito accepted lavish gifts and took part in other controversial off-bench activities. All nine judges signed the 14-page document, but it remains unclear who will enforce the self-imposed code. While intended to ensure judicial integrity, analysts say the new rule is less implicit. What's up, Rodney O? What up? Hey, you going to claim this car yourself or you want me to go get it done? Go get it done. How is how's it looking? Looking at how how does it look? Well, I haven't I haven't been out there since I haven't seen this since last night. So okay. I'm going to go around the corner, go get it done, and I'll take some pictures and shit. Okay. All right. All right. That's Rodney Otis. But you don't hear me though. Pump 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 game. That was a bad record. Yeah, it was. Let me see. Let me see if let me see if uh, if Jeff Roney remember this song. Yeah, I got the funky down. Coming from your blind side. Oh, shit, here I am. 
I asked for a lot of money, and they didn't want to give it to me, and we kept it independently. And we ended up selling about um, 390,000 total albums. And uh, it was the fuck New York album. No, the little Jewish guy who manages um, Earth, Wind & Fire, I'm going to tell you, he's a little mean little motherfucker. Uh, I'm going to tell you his name in a minute. Um, God, um, who owned, who, who started Giant Records? Irving Azoff. It was Irving Azoff who, uh, so we met with Irving and Cassandra. But uh, Irving, uh, is that the same dude that owned the own Ichiban Records, J. King? No, no, no. Ichiban wasn't owned by Irving. Irving came from MCA. He was he, and then he started Giant Records. But Irving Azoff mm-hmm. was a little mean mother figure. What is John Beckman? John Beckman is out in the country. Getting... Aren't the Beastie Boys Jewish? Yes, yes they are, Camarada. Yes, they are. This was a different kind of show today. This wasn't like our normal show. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in a normal show kind of mood. I don't know why. But... Um, Oh, Confunction, I got to get, before we go, Confunction's got a new record, you guys. I told Michael Cooper I would play it for you. I'm going to play it on the radio today. This is the new club, the new Confunction. Let me know what you guys think. Thank you. 
Later on, J. King, so she took this draws. 
Have you ever had anybody take your draws? I just said, yeah, J. King. She wanted to smell these nuts later on. She took them draws. Now, Nicole going to have to take the draws in the third hour of power because I got to go in here and hit the DMV. So, Nicole, take them draws, Nicole. Let me tell you guys, she took my draws. She took my drawers. Minnie Williams is available. You can buy it. I just bought it. Nicole, take the draws. So we should we should call it um, call it cuddles because who else is with us today? I don't know. Ask King who on the board. Um, Lathers, who's on the board, please? Now, um, who's on the board? Um, you and Mary and um, yeah, you Mary Rose, can do it. Um. I'm not sure who. No, I'm uh, uh, Kente's on the board. Kente's on the board. Hmm. Good morning. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Plankton hasn't said much. That sounds like uh, what up, what King Reese. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up. Are you going to stay on the show is what they're asking? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I should be done working in a minute. Yeah, my name is Yeah, okay, Nicole. Yeah, Take the draws, Nicole. Johnny Graham, Christopher Davis, Yusef Kente, Brother Reverend Ali, Timmy Rice, on the radio, uh, Snitchy Smurf, and Mary Hopkins telling you to get busy living because you're going to have enough time dying. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Same bad time. Same bad time. Damn, Snitchy, things while we all gather ourselves in the third hour. Here's one up from New York by CNN, or I should say from CNN. It says, Walmart, Costco, and other companies rethink self-checkout. The backlash against self-checkout is growing. So Cuddles, he's at the DMV right now. I bet you he wish he was at self-checkout, but he's not. And stores are starting to dial back on the technology after it exploded over the past few years. Booth, a British supermarket chain, said it is removing self-checkout stations in all but two of its 28 stores. In the United States, Walmart, Costco, Wegmans, and other chains have also revised their self 
check out strategies. Our customers have told us and told us again over time that the self-scan machines that we've got in our stores can be slow, they can be unreliable, and they're obviously impersonal. Booth's managing director, Nigel Murray, told the BBC. So self-checkouts may be a thing of the past here pretty soon. So and what do you think? Man, I hope not. How do you think like that the companies are going to respond? How do How I do think, think companies are going to respond? How do I think companies are going to respond to getting rid of self-checkout, dealing with inflation, and the lack of employees? What do you think they're going to do? And it won't take a wild guess. We'll probably close stores. Nope. Will be nope. my first thought. And, and remember, the, the objective is to stay open. Oh. The objective is to stay uh, open. Overwork the existing staff. That's one. The most exactly. important one. Most it's important. It's the most important thing. Yep. All right. One moment. Let me throw that in here. See what comes out. Most important. The most important thing to any business is profit, Nikki. That's the well, it's well, yes. always, <laughs> it's always profit, right? It's always. That's yeah. job one for any business is profit. Right? Yeah. If you're not in business to make a profit, what are you there for? You're a charity. So right. in order to incentivize profit, right, so you don't have enough employees at checkout. So that means that the lines are going to be longer, and if you have to hire more people, you have to hire them at a livable wage. The reason why we got the self-checkout counters was to get rid of staff because of the demand for a higher wage. The market responded by putting in the self-checkout so they had less overhead. When you remove mm-hmm. that opportunity, that means that you have to hire more staff, and the first thing they do is increase prices. That's what happens. So the first thing that's going to happen in order to maintain the same customer service that they had with the self-checkout, now they have to remove it because there's a profit and loss issue here. So you're losing revenue through theft, and you're losing revenue through people who are not going to stand in line because the lines are too long. So you have to increase staff. That means you're paying for overhead. And how do you pay for overhead? You pass that savings on to the customer. And the customer always yeah. ends up spending more. It's just how it is. You don't see anywhere in there the possibility of consolidating stores? You can consolidate stores, but that means, again, what happens when you consolidate stores? That means yeah, you, have less market, you have a less market share, right? If I have eighteen, if I have eighteen subway places, and now I consolidate them and I bring that number down to fifteen, I've lost revenue in three stores. So I need to remember. I used to, I was used to having a certain amount of income and market share. So in order to make up that cost, I won't get it all, but let's say I want half that. So I want enough money for a store and a half in profit share. So that means I have to increase my profits, increase my, my, my ratio in order to make up mm-hmm. for that, that loss of three stores. The, no business mm-hmm. is in the business of losing money because then you go right. bankrupt and you close down. So, again, now people can talk all that stuff about being, you know, uh, altruistic, you know, lower the prices so people can't. No, I'm sorry. i got a family to feed, too. 
if you're poor and I'm poor, we're all poor. We don't want to increase in poor people. So I can't lower prices. I have to increase them because I have to feed my family and feed my employees too. Right? You want you want me to do two things at the same time. You want me to lower prices, but you want me to lower the amount of money that the employees get paid. So the person who loses is me because your argument is always, well, you're already making too much money. How do you know that? You don't know what my books look like. You don't know what my profit and loss looks like. You don't know the cost I have to pay for regulation. You know none of that stuff. You just look at us as a building. You think that it just popped up in your neighborhood because I'm just so, you know, I'm rich and wealthy and I got connection. That's not how it works. I agree. So, again, the people, and, and all of it, all of this stuff is, you know, I was thinking about this today. Remember when people used to talk about trickle-down economics, which they always try to attribute to the Reagan administration? Reagan, by the way, never said trickle-down economics, nor did Herbert Walker Bush. This never came from a campaign. Will Rogers said it as a joke and that it was always deemed a trickle-down economics thing. Will Rogers was, was an economist and an actor who said that as a joke. This is some form of trickle-down economics. You know what people keep forgetting? There's also a thing called trickle-down poverty. Right, because again, you're telling everybody else to take a loss, which means that everybody ends up taking a loss. You tell people how much money that they can make, so you min- limit the amount of money they make. That means you limit the amount of money they can give. You g- you limit the amount of money they can pay. You limit the amount of money people have, and therefore you limit the amount of people a lot of money people spend. So it's all just trickle down on both sides. But the only upside is the trickle-down economy that you allow rich people to make more money so they can expand so more people have work. You don't do trickle-down poverty because less people have money, more people starve, more people end up homeless. So if I would take a risk on a trickle-down theory, I would rather go with trickle-down economics on the upside than the downside. Because although the trickle-down on the opposite side that's all altruistic and caring about people, that may make everybody feel good, but nobody eats. Everybody starves. It's the Klaus Schwab idea. You will have nothing and be happy. You will own nothing and be happy. That's what Klaus Schwab thinks. So, but you brought, you know, I talked about this on my show, was it day, uh, Monday, I think. Uh, I said the same thing. I said, this is the, this is what you wrought. When it's immediately when you started telling people that they needed to get a living wage of $15 an hour, right? When you said they needed to increase, what did you do? You ended up going, oh, yesterday, in fact, I said it. What did you do? You ended up killing the entry-level position for the teenager because now we made – the reason why we needed to jump up the, 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 uh, the pay for people who worked at McDonald's was that the people who work at McDonald's were like a 35-year-old guy with 2.5 kids at home. McDonald's is never meant for that guy. McDonald's is meant for the entry-level worker, 16, 17, 18, with a store manager teaching kids how to work a job, to work a shift, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to then you know, sort of escalate into the job force. Now we got people who are in their 30s, in their 40s, working at McDonald's, raising children. So, of course, we need a livable wage for them. And what happens to the teenager who needs a job? He can't find one because no one will hire him. 
primarily right. because these stores need the experience, and also no one's going to pay a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old kid $18 an hour to flip burgers. This lazy-ass generation. Shit, I got 30-year-olds that are this lazy. Well, not all of them, King Reese, but, you know, I, I get your point. Hey, I got 30-year-olds that won't take a $10 job and will sooner get on welfare. Won't even take a $10 job. When I got home in 2012, and Mary can attest this, I worked at U-Haul as a phone operator part-time, making $10 an hour. A year later, I had a promotion. A year later, 2013 to 2014. We're talking about a guy who before that was making $84,000 a year working 15 hours a week on radio. When that $10 an hour job came, I took it, and I was working 35 hours a week if I was lucky. Right. When I had to get back on my feet, you have to get back on your feet. Mary, we even tell you, before I got the, the U-Haul job, I was working for a, a, v, a VDOT, a Virginia Department of Transportation uh, landscape uh, contractor. He was paying me nine fifty an hour. Yeah, I think our messaging was a little bit different when we um, when we were young. Yeah, when he young, mm-hmm. this was literally this was literally eleven years ago, twelve years. Right, ago. but I believe that so, that um, that ethic has been instilled. It's been a part of your fabric since you were young. That's what I mean. So, like, do what you need to do. Honest work is honest work. That's you know, maybe that message changed over the years or something. You or mean the entitlement crowd? <laughs> I don't want to. Well, all right. Well, it is an entitlement. <laughs> Think about this. We're looking at mm-hmm. the generation that was forged through the participation trophy. Think about every aspect of life today and look at it from the lens of a participation trophy. Because of that ideal, Lizzo is now attractive and gets the cover of a magazine. That's a participation trophy on steroids, right? And if you want to use that as a guise, I heard this guy say this on, on TikTok the other day. He says, if you want to show you how ridiculous that is, tell a woman one day, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. You remind me of Lizzo and watch that woman's reaction. But you're never supposed to say Lizzo isn't attractive because, again, participation trophy. Well, I kind of feel like it's history. Everybody's sex must be treated. Everybody's sex, everybody's race, everybody's breakdown, everybody's personality must be adhered to because think of Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner, we all have to treat Caitlyn Jenner like she's – a woman, because she says so. Participation trophy on steroids. That's all it is. Because we can't offend anybody. Everybody's got to get an award. Everybody's got to be recognized. Everyone has to be treated with some form of reverence. That's what the that's what we want with the participants. We don't want anybody to feel bad. 
And whose who's culture is this? We literally, I remember back in the days, Nicole, when people said this, right, out the mouths of babes. And they used to say that was cute. I was one of the first people that said, I never listen to what kids say. They're the dumbest. You listen to what a kid say, we'll be eating fucking cake for breakfast. These kids don't know what they're talking about. Why would we listen to them and look at our culture today? It's literally been run by infants. It's like five-year-olds with a Molotov cocktail. If you don't do what they say, they tear it down. We're being literally led down a primrose path by children who we told needed a participation trophy for just existing. There are no winners. There are no losers. That's the that's our society in a nutshell. And you say it takes about a hundred years for the pendulum to switch to swing center or swing to the this next took twenty. This took twenty. Well, I actually think that things change every twenty, twenty five years. Not this dramatic. You think about it, everybody else has given up. We live in a society of people who have given up. They don't even want to talk. Ask people today. I, I talk to them all the time on, on WTIC. I said, what do they say all the time? I meet these people who listen to me on WTIC. You know what they say every time? My neighbor's a liberal, but, you know, we don't really talk. You know, I can't have a conversation with him because he gets, he gets very violent if you say something that he doesn't like. People don't even talk to each other anymore. Or, or they're afraid to because they're wondering whether or not they might offend. They're scared of each other. One of the main reasons why I come on here, in spite of being put on mute when I say something that's unfashionable, is that at least in right. some way I get to say it. Jay King has a problem sometimes with the stuff that I say, and I don't know why he thinks it's so dangerous. Because it's just me, right? Because I'm irrelevant. But obviously there's something that just, that there's something that, that sort of triggers people when they get angry about it. And I know the deal is. And I don't believe You're in war talk. I, I believe in You're war. You're a charlatan. That's why. I knew it. That's okay. Even if I am, I, even if I am, you should be willing to listen to it. Why should you be afraid of it? If it's misinformation and disinformation, dude, they, you, there are people today who believe the moon landing is fake. We don't shut them up, do we? There are people who believe that the earth is flat. We don't shut them up, do we? There are people who believe that the Kennedy assassination was committed by two or three people. We don't shut them up. We've never been that society. Now we are. Now misinformation and disinformation is some sort of taboo. Jay King talks about people who thought the Willie Lynch letter was real. That was a misinformation and disinformation that's over 50 years old. We never told anybody they couldn't believe it. We just tried to correct them. That's all through conversation, through information. Now we're telling people, it's disinformation, shut them down. And you know it's true. I'm, I'm, not, deni- I'm not denying what you're saying. No, 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 I'm not suggesting that you are, but oh, it's like, listen, oh. I'm not telling anybody that isn't, it isn't true. They know it's true. You're a handkerchief here. You don't know how to decide uh, things. You know, um, welcome to the discussion, and uh, would you like to contribute? A full sentence? Okay. I'm a listener. No, no. You're supposed to be participating in the third hour of power. We were waiting for you, and now you've arrived. Welcome. I'll share what I had to say. 
<laughs> that King Reese is a charlatan. That that's your that's it. That that's the that's the text. <laughs> well, you're so, a so, you're so, a handkerchief head, person. Dude, when I hear yeah. people immediately go for the insult, like oh, you know, uh, you're a charlatan and all this stuff, and never debate what it is that I just said. I've, I know I've already won. I've already won because you'll never debate me on the merits. You just you 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 malign me and call me names because you got nothing because you're an empty vessel at that point. It's like screaming and hollering, "You're a racist" or "You're a Hitler," "You're a charlatan," because you get you're empty at that point. You got no talking points. You can't combat me with anything. You can't combat a thing I said, and it's, it's very evident. I, like I said, I've never needed your approval. I don't need anybody's approval. For what I say, the evidence is there, and you display why it exactly you by your reaction. Why did you inbox me, Ben? Why did you inbox me? I sent you a text message because I wanted you, again, that's what I said earlier. You obviously are late to the conversation. I don't have a problem with people who are misinformed or disinformed. Our objective is to make sure that they have the information. We don't tell people they're not allowed to think and feel what they do. We don't call them disinformations and shut them down. We try to educate them and inform them so that they are so, informed so citizens. You, so you, we don't so shut you send me a message because you, so you sent me a message because you were misinformed. No, no, I sent you a message because I wanted you to look at this and give you an opportunity to see it and then respond to it. That's to have dialogue. That's what dialogue is about. Look and tell me what you think about it. Have dialogue. Now, if you don't like it or if you want to poke holes in it, do that. But the point is that people are afraid to do that. They don't want to hear what they don't want to hear, right? It's, it's subjective to who it is that they are, your sensibilities. I like think, believing what I believe because it protects my sensibilities. If I get something thrown at me, look, trust me, I used to be on the side that, that Jay King is on with the whole Hamas thing, right? I used to believe that it was a bunch of sable rattle, rattling and people need to chill out and be, live peacefully until I learned something else. And then I understood, and I had to take an L and say, wow, I didn't know what I was talking about. And be willing to say, okay, there's another side to this I clearly don't know, right? And I accept that information and learn from it. So these people who are sitting around here screaming and hollering, oh, that's not true. You you just want your side. I'm like, dude, that's exactly what you want, your side. Everybody wants their side to be right. But if you're not even engaging the opposite side, you're not engaging. You're just saying, I'm going to stick to my little point of view, and I don't want to hear anybody else. J.K. might not have that argument over and over and over again, and you know that. He says, I listen to all sides. I'm like, that's funny because I'm in all sides. Why not listen to something I have to say? Why is my side not all? Because I, I know what the word all means. All means every. Now to King's defense, King Reese. I do recall, I don't know if it were yesterday or Friday, I remember him saying, that um, uh, he made adjustments because there was a time, because you um, both converse through the text as well as on the phone, that sometimes he speed reads your text messages, like not maybe not even thoroughly speed read. And he would already be responding, and then he'd come to find out you both were agreeing, basically saying the same thing, if I'm, that's a slight paraphrase there. So, right, right. And, then what, mean, and what he was admitting to, what he was admitting to was a knee-jerk reaction to something Reese posted, right? So if Reese posted it, 
my inclination is that it's false, not true, and unreal. That's a knee-jerk mm-hmm. reaction. So it's always about the messenger. Oh, Reese wrote it. It can't be true. Let me disprove. Let me dispel it without reading the entire, the, 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 the entire complexity. He also said that to me the other day. He goes, I don't watch any of the videos that you send me. And I'm like, why? He goes, because I know it's not real. I'm like, you can't know anything if you haven't investigated it. Like, if you watched it and then you said that it wasn't real, that would be one thing. But to say I don't need to watch it to know that it's not true, that's called that's, – that's, that's an affront to ga- gathering information. It's an affront to the idea. So we hold hope that um, he'll start watching, you know, the videos that you He won't. It's okay. He won't. Well, and I mean, I, if you listen, I accept that. I accept that. I totally accept that. I accept that your your version, even Yusef Kente, I accept that you will not listen to another person's point of view. And again, I understand where that comes from. Because again, if you are comfortable, and everybody needs their own safe space to believe what they want to believe. When they have their reality sort of like warped, and trust me, I do it every day. When you have your reality warped, right, the stuff that you used to believe no longer is true, it's it's game changing. Actually, Reed, and a actually of, I love to hear people other opinions. Matter of fact, no, that's no, the I, reason hearing why other opinions that's, is that's fine. Right, right. I like it. That's one of the reasons why I left the show without Lee because he didn't want to hear other people's opinions. He didn't want people to call in. Whereas I like to hear people's opinions so I can grow from listening to other people. It's not like I got everything. I want to say what I got to say, see what, see how to play ping pong with the one, and maybe somebody can help me slam it better, the ping pong ball, because I, I'm not the greatest ping pong player, so I like hearing response from other people. I, I like hearing from you. I go to your show to listen to you. I got a notification to hear you. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me. Okay, so you say, so you say. But, but Reese, I, I like listening to you. I got a notification so I can listen to your show, and I just hear a lot of times. So it's not about not wanting to hear what other people have to say with me. <coughs> anyway. So it's all this charlatan well, business I about me. What, what is all that about? In letting him speak, I see where he, can, he put his foot in his mouth in a lot of things. And he does it. He knows what he's doing. Because he's a charlatan. There's a way in which he's he Yeah, I don't think that anybody. I don't. I don't think that anybody knows knows what I'm doing. Because if they were listening to what I was doing, right? Again, this is everything that I that I talk about. Right? Is usually verified with actual like content. Right. So, and I know that. Look, it's not like dudes sit around all day and watch and read news and gather news the, the way that I do. It's a 24-hour process. I wake up in the morning on news. I go to bed I on news. That, Reece. I do that. Okay? I do that. So actually, Malcolm, and, and Mike, I have, Malcolm X had a scene in the movie because that's what he did. He was there yeah, a scene and I, in the movie where he's continually just looking at the news. Because that's what And another thing that I do that many people will laugh at 
because I know they see my show, so that's the reason why they stopped saying it, right? In the beginning, they always used to say, oh, Reese gets his news from Breitbart, or Reese gets his news from Newsmax or Fox News. They used to say that all the time here. So now they see my show. And if you've seen my show, my video clips are from CNN and MSNBC, Right. what they deem reliable sources. So everything that I say, I put their videos up, show them talking. So, again, it completely it bolsters my point. If you need evidence, here it is, and hear from the sources that you trust. You don't like Fox News. You don't like Breitbart. You think those are all liars. Here they go. Hear them telling you, your audience, the people you believe, the people you trust, telling you exactly what I'm telling you. So you can believe it now. And what do people say all the time? They just go, oh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't see that. Because I know. The objective is, listen, nobody pays that much attention to news. I listen to people every day, Yusef. You know Please, what they remember say Remember when I told you and then invaded Ukraine that you guys looked at me as crazy when I said, that this is the start of World War III? I still disagree with you. The World War III scenario is definitely in Israel and Hamas. That's definitely a case. But you said something interesting yesterday that I still stand with you. And what, what I found so incredibly dynamic between you and I yesterday was that you and I are on different sides of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But guess what we both agreed on yesterday? When we were that talking to JK. People don't know about it. People don't know exactly. about it, really. And what was, what was the primary the thing we were talking about? We were talking about the 3,000 years that this has been right. going well, on, and I, this I, is I, not I as know nuanced. I zeroed in on, and that's the same thing in the time of Jesus that was zeroed yeah. in on about the age of Abraham and the age of Jesus. Right, but you and, you and I were on the same. The that he spoke. Right, you and I were on the same page by saying that, listen, this conflict, people are looking at this conflict from 1948. It's so much deeper than that. And you and I were totally screaming at J.K. going, dude, this is not, this didn't happen 50, you know, 75 years ago. Dude, this is older than that. And you and I were on this same page. Even though we looked at the whole story differently, we understood the history. So I give credence to you in this conversation. Like, you are a person I can have a conversation about this because you get the length and the depth of the debate, right? You understand. You have a different perspective of those 3,000 years, but we both understand that this is a 3,000-year-old war, that it is, it is religious, religion-based. We understand that. And the and reason so why I, I say 3,000, because that's the history. But you got to look at exactly like that, the uh, prehistory, before they were exactly. able to even put this territory into their history. There was people that was living in that region before those two people that are fighting now are fighting about that region. So it was prehistoric. So and it's prehistoric because the history now that is written is the history of man at this state as he knows. But when the black man was the ruler of the earth, they call it prehistoric because they found out once they robbed the temple, like the Indiana Jones movie that showed you movie is art theory on how they did it. They went into the temples of Africa, robbed it, tried to decode the information, then self-fulfilled the prophecy of the ending of their doom. And that's what it's all about. And that's why Israel is finding problems today because the Palestinians know that they're not right for claiming that they're even the chosen one. Because the chosen ones are, don't even get the so-called chosen ones 
don't even recognize the original, the fallacious uh, Jews, if you want to look at the word Jews. The fallacious Jews has records, has books, has all, has prophets, indications of saying that they are the original. So are you still ones. saying, wait for a minute, so are, you saying, are you saying that Jews before these Jews used to own the land? Canaan. The land, the territory yes, that they're fighting in right now is Canaan. The people yeah. of that territory were Canaanites. Those people were yeah. melanated people. Melanated to were they Jews? The, the Holy Land, the Holy Land is the introduction to the rest of the world to Africa. It's the All of those people are Jews. Listen, I don't have a problem with them being melanated. That's not a debate. Well, I think that people the people are, listen, they I are believe the that. Original. The, 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 I know, the I get it, Jews, but the they're still Jews. European Jews. The reason why they're European and the reason why they came from somewhere trying to go somewhere is because they got caught up in the ice. They had the but they're still Jews. But they got caught up. I'm talking about the Jews. They got caught. They were the ones. Yeah, that but they're still Jews. The ice too. Right. So, yeah, okay, I know. Okay, you're yeah, separating them by. You're, wait, wait, wait. You're separating well, them only, by melanin. They, they, they only. They only. They only got. They only got that. that they they labeled themselves the sons of of uh, Jacob. Jacob, yes. if you read the story, changed his name to Israel. He's alive. Okay. Israel today isn't even the lineage of the the ones that was supposed to be the promised ones because That's not he true. stole the birthright from his brother. Okay. Again, see, this is all thing. You keep making this about a melanated people that no, has nothing not to do with it being. It's nothing about melanation. All I'm saying is. I mentioned it because they are the European Jews. They lost well, their melanin because they got caught up in the ice. So it was the ice okay, age. Again, you, okay, again, I understand that you're bringing it up. Age. Okay, I understand that you're bringing it up. Here's, here's my point, right? Relevance matters, right? If it's irrelevant, don't mention it. You keep mentioning it, so I'm asking for its relevance. You keep talking about the melanated authentic because the authentic one there you go the there you go the fallacious there you go so that's my point were, are the melanated so that's my point how the other ones so again you you said you hear what I'm saying to you right so you say that it isn't relevant the the fallacious Jews are being ostracized by the Jewish community because they're that's melanated. also not true that is not true that so you're involved in this you look at the it isn't true. The Ethiopian Jews wasn't even recognized in the beginning. Also and, and not they, true. They, they, oh, my God, man. They, what are you talking about? Yousef, Yousef, with all due respect, listen, Yousef, Yousef, with all due respect, I try to do this so often, right? Listen, this region is talked about ad nausea by a bunch of people who have been totally misconstruing this, this objective, this idea, this objective, and it's all based in racism. Talking about Ethiopian Jews and how they're treated in Israel is a fallacy. It is a well-known, well-known fallacy. People talking about Gaza, which is in the 19th century, is a well-known fallacy to people who have been and live and visit the region. For those people who talk about it, you have to ask them, okay, fine, 
You've been in the West Bank. Do you understand how the West Bank works? Do you understand why the West Bank works? Who lives in the West Bank? Do Israels, Israelis live in the West Bank? They don't. Is it militarized? Yes. Why is it militarized? People can't answer that question. Why is Haifa? Why is Haifa a, a, a hotbed of terrorism? It's militarized. They've got to debate whether or not this is going to be militarized after they do all the bombing over there. What actually, do you mean? It's always it, going to be. Actually, it's going to be, yes. it's going to be worse than that. It's going to be worse than that. But get a, guess what? Yeah, guess they, why? They keep saying they're not going to militarize. Because no, no. Guess why, guess why it's not going to matter after this war? Because, again, because no one's going over. to be. That's right. And why do they have to take it over? Do you know why? Well, you tell me if they, if you see okay. the word. All right, so you should understand why. The West Bank, the West Bank is nothing more than the headquarters of Hamas, right? It's the headquarters. Now, what Israel, what Israel is did? But the headquarter, Israel is nothing but the headquarters of America being over there in that Muslim region. Okay, it's not. First of all, again, see, this is the whole deal. See, you don't even. You don't even Israel hear yourself. Is the headquarters, Israel is the headquarters yeah. of the American influence in the Mediterranean. Can I ask you a quick question? Hold on. Do you believe in just a simple question? Let me just ask you this. And I think we're being respectful, and I love this conversation because it's not going off the rails. But i got to ask you a question. You're doing do you believe Do you believe that wait, the wait, existence wait, wait. of Israel – Shut the fuck up, you handkerchief head. I don't need you to do you believe do you believe that the, that that the do you believe that the state of Israel does not deserve to exist as a home of no, the Jewish people? Does, no, no, it doesn't. No. And can I tell you okay. why? So that's so, okay, please, please. Okay. Number one, because if you look at the story, Israel is a lie. Israel okay. So it's birthright to get to be called God's people. Israel, Israel stole his birthright according to the story, stole his birthright from his brother. His brother should have been the one to get the birthright, who is the one that's causing the conflict will be forever and until it just get out of the region, go fight somewhere else. Because that's not even the region that you're even supposed to be carrying on your fight when you have a family affair. Fight in your own area. Okay, so it is safe to say. Okay, go ahead. Okay, where should Israel call call its home if any place? Why not where they came from? In the Maya. They only come in the Maya. Why not Eastern Europe? No, no. Israel is inside the spirit, and then and that's why they have the issues with it. See, this, this is what I, these are people that don't know the history. They opt to see they don't want to talk. They what, he, what he's doing because he he's not versed in books. He's not a well-read person. So his opt out is to talk about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. It's about the spirit. oh, nigga. That's where it's at, nigga. Well, show me where Israel well, is, nigga. Israel, Israel don't exist, nigga. Israel don't exist, spirit. nigga. That's what's wrong with you, ignorant ass niggas. There you go. There you go. Nigga don't know that's shit. Point. That's my point, Ali. Oh, what are you talking about? If that's your point, then what you talking against the spirit for, nigga? I'm talking to read. I'm talking to read. 
You I don't care, bitch, nigga. You ain't the only one in the armor of power, nigga. There's a whole bunch of us on this phone, nigga. Yeah, but this is a conversation with Reese. I don't give a fuck what the conversation is, nigga. Listen to him. I can say what I want to say. Now go ahead. Finish your conversation, nigga. Cuddles, well, now, please well, say that they were saying, having a calm debate. They weren't yelling. As I was saying, fuck that ass-licking imbecile. Nigga, you went to the you were saying. Of- I'm going to get to the motherfucking mute button, nigga. I'm going to show you well, who I'm going to fuck, nigga. I'm fucking a lot of phones. I'm going to fuck a lot of phones with this mute button, nigga. And nigga, I'm going to run up in a whole bunch of phones, nigga. I'm going to run up. I'm going to stick this finger in a whole bunch of phones, nigga. Hold on, Cuddles. Cuddles, hold on. What you mean I ain't like, nigga? You ain't like, nigga. Nigga, you arguing with a but nigga that don't like you. The conversation was lighthearted. Um, nigga, nobody and, asked you to say nothing, nigga. You ain't the motherfucking leader of this, nigga. You get put on mute too, left, nigga. You left me in charge while you went to the DMV. No, I ain't left you in shit. You didn't take the draws, nigga. <laughs> it wasn't required. <laughs> You so. ain't got no stamina, you handkerchief head, to stand up to nobody. <laughs> you rather sit there and sniggle instead of saying uh, what you got to say because you scared of the mute button. I'm not afraid of no mute button. I get muted every day. I know you're not afraid of the mute button because you're a handkerchief head. And I'm you not afraid of you either. You, I'm not afraid of you either. So, so, so there. Why you, why you hold it back? I, I didn't hold you. back. I, I've already said what night. I needed to say. You text me all night, Baba. You want to call <laughs> I, me? I, yeah, you do that. You do that. I didn't text you, you all that, night, no. Baba. Uh, what I did do, what I did uh, do, though, what I did do, uh, hold on now, what I uh, did do, what, what I did, did do. is said that you would do something that you didn't keep your word on doing. Ain't that right? I, well, if, well, how can I? Okay, wait a minute. Well, pardon me. How could I not keep my word if I did keep my word? You just said I text you Baba all night. Was it all I night? Want back, I want to get back to the point about this conversation that Yusuf Kenzie just said because I had to, I had to go into the store. Wonderful. So I didn't want to be okay. shouting in the store. Yusuf Kenzie, you brought up you brought up something. Did he do his he actually no. He it's not that he didn't do his homework. He has a point of view that is completely contradictory in a way. But I, I want to address that. Let me let me do my okay, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm gonna go mute. Go ahead. Uh oh. <laughs> no, this is my point with Reese though. I think he had. Why, he forgets why that. Why you feel that you have to join something? You don't have to join for. You just accept it for faith. Go through the I accepted I accepted what? What did I accept? I'm talking to Reese. I'm talking to Reese. is on hold right now. That we're on we're listening to his um elevator music right now. He can't hear you. Well, it's for you to hear what my objective is. Reese is. All right, sorry, sorry so about that. So Reese, the only thing, the only thing, Reese, that I, the thing that I trip about with you, Reese, is uh-huh. that the faith that you decided to go through 
to go through all these rituals and rites to be. You can just have it through faith. Yet you went through all these rituals and rites to be part of jewelry when you can just sit up and accept the faith. Okay, Judea. But now you think you're somebody because you attach yourself, what you do when you do that, you attach yourself with the powers that be and your and your way of thinking is war. You don't, you know, that's all. That's all. One question. While King Reese gathers his thoughts, one question not related to the topic. What was the name of that Rodney O song that Lathers was playing earlier? What was the name of that? Okay, let me come to the boulevard. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to look that up. Let me answer answer this. You said something that's incredibly interesting, and, and, and it's the reason why many people should be fearful, right? Um, especially Israeli people, all right? So you have made it very clear that Israel should move to Eastern Europe, right, to the place in which they were driven out of, in his opinion, right, driven out of by Nazis and Hitler. As if to suggest they don't have a rightful existence in the Middle East, or in Israel as a whole. If you believe that it's just as simple as moving them and their lives would be better, don't you think Israelis would just do that? What's going on? Can't they? What happened? Kente. Five oh nine. Who's that? Five oh nine. Five oh nine nine two seven. Who's that? One 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 one. Who's that? Kente. What up? What happened? I don't know. Where everybody at? And we just asked you a question, and then that was it. Nobody, you didn't answer, and then he, he's gone now. Ain't nobody on the board. Oh, no, I'm at work, man. So he probably asked me something, and I turned away to answer something else. But I just got off, so I was coming back now, and I see nobody here. Now, something happened with the show. It, it just, there's people with their phone is on here, but. The show was quiet after Reese asked, asked his question. No, Snitchy Pooh, nobody else said that, and I don't know what happened. Oh, what was I'm the a, question? I don't know. He wasn't. I wasn't. You wasn't talking to me. Remember, according to you, he wasn't. You wasn't talking to me. Oh, I don't know what the fuck was that. 
I just thought mm-hmm. you I thought you just acquiesced a little bit and said, Okay, I'm gonna let y'all talk. But you were I still did. here. No, I was driving. Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't hear what happened? No, I wasn't paying attention. Oh. No, I wouldn't either. I was off the phone because I was I, I I was talking to y'all on the show so much that they clocked us out, and I didn't even clock out. So I'm coming back. So I'm talking to them saying, oh, man, we're done, blah, blah, blah. So I had to yeah. get that info, and now I'm coming back on the line. So, you know, because I'm off, but now you telling me that motherfuckers, see, that's what I'm saying, man. Them motherfuckers can't even keep the conversation. Pool can't even have a conversation on the phone. No, no, I, I don't think that can happen. I think the whole show went off because it looked like Jay King hung up and he was on the oh. board. And then I don't know what happened there, but usually it shouldn't hang up. It should. It, 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 the whole show went quiet right after he asked you. Reese asked you the question, and then nobody else said anything, and it was just quiet after that. Oh, that's fucked up because I, w- I would have answered it because it seemed like he and I would have had time to talk. And, and you know, I just couldn't at the time because I, you know, still had to check in for work. But, uh, damn, it's fucked up. Yeah, they all gone. Yeah, well, now I'm off work and I ain't got, now what the fuck I'm going to do? Actually go home? Yeah, you got to go home. <laughs> I was going to talk shit on the phone. No, nah, you ain't talking shit on the phone today. It's, it's done about it. Call back tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to go get my shit. Go handle my other shit, man. There you go. All right, man. I'll, you, uh, I'll be ready to talk shit to you tomorrow. All right, one love. Holla. So, so this is what I got to say. Fuck you. <laughs> get ready for tomorrow. <laughs>